Hey, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Good to see you or be seen by you. Uh, actually, uh, before we jump into God's Word, I just want to remind our parents and kids, tomorrow begins our virtual VBS. So if you haven't received your materials for that, you should have on Thursday. Uh, please let us know, info at centennialchurch.com, and we will get that to you uh, ASAP. And while we're here gathered, just want to give a shout out this morning to Miss Glenna for putting all that together. Uh, please comment down below. Thank her for her hard work on that. Thank you so much, Ms. Glenna, for doing that. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're jumping back into Colossians today, uh, and we'll finish it next week. And today we're just going to do a, a few verses, and we'll get to those verses uh, here in just a second. And I'm actually going to ask uh, for your participation a little bit in today's message. So be ready, uh, whoever's there on the computer or phone or whatever, be ready to comment at a couple places as we go, as we go through this here. So uh, we'll get to the passage in just a second, but first of all, let me just tell you, just confess to you, I'm, I'm not, I've never been a big phone guy. I uh, don't love to talk on the phone, never have. Uh, and it kind of caused a little bit of a problem as I was dating Elizabeth uh, because most of our courtship was long distance. And so that requires a lot of phone conversation. And uh, I've never lived down this comment that I stupidly made uh, at the beginning of our relationship. Uh, she was down in Galveston. I was up in Dallas, and we were talking on the phone one night, and I was kind of frustrated or tired or whatever, uh, had a test the next day or some, some kind of excuse like that. But I made this comment off the cuff uh, as I was in kind of this bad place. I said, now, are you going to want to talk on the phone every night? Yeah. Uh, don't comment about that in the comments, please. Okay, but yeah, bad comment, uh, bad deal. I still haven't lived that down. Um, relationships require communication. I mean, it's just 101 basics of relationships. If you are going to get to know someone, if you're going to have a relationship with someone, you have to learn to communicate. And in fact, our God is a relational and communicating God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the first couple verses of Hebrews chapter 1 says that uh, in long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. God speaks various times, various ways, and he's spoken to us by his son through Jesus. God is a communicating God. In fact, we find in the first couple chapters of Genesis, the way God creates is by the spoken word. He communicates creation into existence. God speaks, and it is. And even Jesus himself, as Jesus enters our world, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh. Jesus is called the Word, the communicator. We know and serve a relational, communicating God, and any relationship involves communication. I say that because the passage that we come to this morning talks about communicating. Communicating to God and communicating to others about God. We have to learn to communicate. And to communicate well. So join me in Colossians uh, chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, verses 2 through 6, and then we'll talk about it uh, together. 
says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, here in our passage, uh, you can just kind of summarize it with two statements. Uh, Paul says he wants us to be devoted to prayer, and he wants us to be effective in evangelism. Devoted to prayer and effective in evangelism. So let's begin by looking, uh, looking together here at verse 2. And he starts out, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, if you look at other translations of this, particularly the, the NAS, I believe, and, and the NIV, it says, be devoted to prayer. And it's interesting that that's the way they translate it, be devoted, because it's actually the same Greek word that we find in Acts 2.42, where it says the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. They were devoted to prayer. And here's the same idea from the Apostle Paul, continue steadfastly or be devoted to prayer, to talking to God. Uh, we have examples of that right here in Colossians. Back in chapter 1, we see that, that, that Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says that I, haven't, I have not ceased praying for you. And then later in chapter 4, where we'll get to next week, uh, verse 12, it says that Epaphras, the founder of this church in Colossae, it says that he is always struggling for you in prayer. He's, he's constantly praying for you, church, uh, wrestling uh, in prayer for you. So we have two examples right here of being devoted to prayer as Paul instructs us to be steadfast, devoted to prayer. It's about 20 years ago, I heard uh, some words from Jim Cimbala uh, that just have stuck with me for 20 years. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And Jim Cimbala, in, in one of his books, uh, he says this. He says, you can tell how popular a church is by how many people come on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the preacher is by how many people come on Sunday night. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people come to the prayer meeting. Yikes. Ouch. You know, if we're going to know our God, then we have to communicate with him. We have to talk to him. We have to hear from him. And I don't know about you, but in both of these areas, prayer as well as sharing our faith, it can be kind of convicting and actually it can kind of make you feel pretty guilty about, hey man, I, who feels great about their prayer life? Hey, you know, got that, got that nailed. No need for improvement here. I'm pretty, I don't know anybody that thinks that. You know, prayer is hard. Communication is hard. Uh, same thing with sharing our faith with others. These are two difficult, kind of guilt-inducing topics. Alistair Begg uh, is a pastor that's written a book about prayer, and he, in a survey, uh, lists the various barriers that people have uh, towards prayer and why they feel like they're not effective 
in prayer. And I just want to list the barriers that he lists for you, or that he lists. And I want to ask you in the comments, what do you think are the top barriers to effective prayer? Here's what Alistair Begg says. Uh, Not enough time, too tired, easily distracted, unanswered prayers, unsure what to pray, self-reliance, and lack of desire. Okay? Now, I'm going to ask you just in the comments right now just to type in what, what do you think makes prayer so difficult? Is it one of these? What, what would you say makes prayer so difficult? Just comment there in the comments for us. Have a little dialogue about Of these uh, seven reasons that I listed, uh, which would you guess would be the top uh, most frequent responses? of what are the hardest things about prayer. Well, here's what Alistair Begg's survey reveals. The number one listed barrier to prayer, according to this survey, is that we're easily distracted. Easily distracted. You know what the second most common barrier to prayer is, according to this survey at least? Self-reliance. Distraction and self-reliance. Does that ring true for you? Man, distraction. We live in a busy, noisy, distracted time. Screens, our phones, busyness. I mean, we're just easily distracted. And that can push out time with God and communicating with God. And man, as believers in Jesus, we have to resist that type of distraction and noise to set aside specific time to talk deeply with Jesus and to build in spaces throughout the day to fellowship with God and prayer. Distraction is a, is a prayer killer. But the second response is maybe just as difficult, and that's self-reliance. You know, one of the big barriers of, hey, I, I don't think I need to pray is because, you know what, hey, I, got, I think I got this figured out. You know, I, I don't think I, I need God. We're, we're self-sufficient modern people, and we have resources and options and modern conveniences, and hey, we, we can do this. I mean, it, whatever it is, just put your mind to it, and you can do it. You, do, you, you can do it. Self-reliance is the antithesis of dependence upon God. And I think that's one of the things that we're learning in this difficult season as a nation and the world just of COVID and all the difficulties in our country is, guess what? We're pretty vulnerable. You know, we don't have it all figured out. In fact, Jesus said, John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, yeah, you, you know, maybe you can make some money or whatever, but actually, your very breath, your life is dependent upon God. You are not a self-made woman, a self-made man. We are all dependent upon God. And so, 
what can you and I do to fight self-reliance and to fight distraction, to be able to communicate with God in prayer? What are some things, maybe you just want to comment right now in the comments, ways that you can fight distraction? You know, he goes on here to say that we're to be watchful, or other translations say alert in prayer, to be watchful or alert in prayer. And I think that means both watchful in the sense of what is God doing in light of our prayers? How do we see him answering our prayers? But also just attentive or alert, as other translations say. You know, because we are distracted. Uh, We do have different inputs and noises and alerts coming on our phones and all this stuff. We, we do tend to be distracted. Uh, and here's just a couple of helps in terms of being able to stay alert and watchful in prayer that, that I think might be able to help uh, you as, as, as they help me. Uh, one thing about being alert is just maybe the opportunity just to pray with others. I mean, sometimes it helps just to pray out loud or to experience prayer with others can help you be watchful or alert in prayer. Another thing that I found that helps me is just keeping a journal and writing prayers out or at least listing things as I'm trying uh, to pray. Another thing in terms of technology is that I try to do often is just set little reminders or timers on my phone that I can stop that remind me that says, hey, pray for your wife, pray for your kids at this time. Uh, So we can actually use technology, though that's one of the things that distracts us. We can use it to our advantage to remind us to center down uh, in the middle of the day or at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. One of the practices that we, Elizabeth and I, have tried to incorporate is just a, a morning prayer, just right as we rise from bed. And then again, setting our timer for a a midday prayer time and then we always try to end the day uh, by praying together as we're as we're in bed together so praying with others journaling setting reminders these are ways that can help us be alert and watchful and devoted to prayer now there's a final thing that he says here, and it's not unimportant. He says, pray with thanksgiving. And if you haven't found the emphasis in Colossians on thanksgiving, I I just want to encourage you later just to kind of look through these four chapters to find all the references to thankfulness. And guess what? Here's one of them in verse two, but there's three references to thanksgiving in chapter three, three verses in a row. There's a reference to thankfulness in chapter two. There's two references to thankfulness in chapter one. We pray not only, please, please, God, give me, give me, give me, (laughs) but we pray with thanksgiving. God, thank you that you've given me what you have. Thank you, God, for giving me Jesus. Because guess what? As as guilty or as convicted as you and I may feel uh, about prayer, and hey, I, I struggle with this too. One thing that we can be thankful for is that Jesus doesn't grade us or save us because of our faithfulness in prayer, thankfully. He saves us by grace. So we don't have to be guilty about our prayers, but we go back to God in prayer, grateful that he doesn't judge us on our prayers, but that he saves us from our sins and our shortcomings. And that's reason, his grace is reason to come back to him in prayer and say, thank you, God. So it goes on, not only uh, do we pray personally, 
But he goes into verse 3 talking about how we pray evangelistically. We pray for others. And before I go to that, let me, let me just remind us of the logic and the flow of Colossians overall as he gets to prayer and evangelism here, sharing our faith, praying and sharing. Why would we do that? Why would we pray and why would we share our faith? Well, if you remember, the main theme of Colossians is what? Comment there. What is it? The, the main theme of Colossians is the preeminence of Jesus. What does preeminence mean? We find that in, in chapter 1, verse 18, that, that Christ is to be preeminent in everything, in everything. In our finances and our prayers and our marriage and the way we parent, Jesus is to be preeminent in everything. Our politics, the way we spend our money, all this stuff. Jesus is to be preeminent. We find that in chapter 1 of Colossians. Well, doesn't it make sense, as we get to chapter 4 here, that if Jesus is to be preeminent, first place in everything, that he would be first place in our conversation, in our prayer, that if he's first place, we would want to commune with him, we would want to talk with him. And if Jesus is first place, if Jesus is really preeminent, Lord of our life, then wouldn't we want to talk about him with other people that don't know him? I mean, as we get to chapter 4 and we, we think about prayer and, and, and witnessing here, it's not just out of the blue that Paul brings these topics up. It's because of the foundation he set in the previous chapters of that Jesus is numero uno, number one, preeminent, and therefore we want to spend time with him. We want to thank him for his love. We want to commune with him through prayer and through the scriptures. And as difficult or as intimidating or as fearful as we might be about sharing Jesus with others, if he's really first place, if he's the creator of all things and preeminent over all things, then certainly we would want to share him with others. Anything that you're passionate about, you talk about. Whether it's a movie you saw, whether it's a CrossFit gym that you're a part of, whether it's a hobby you have, whether it's a, a fishing hole that you found, you get passionate about it. I'm looking at Garrett as I said that one. He's right behind the camera. We talk about what we care about. And as we come closer to Jesus, we want to share him with others as, as fearful or as intimidating or as politically incorrect as that might be. We need to talk about Jesus. But verses three and four, first of all, he's saying, pray for us. He's telling the, the church in Colossae, pray for us. And I think what he means there is pray for me and Timothy because we see back in chapter one, verse one, it says Paul and Timothy writing to them. So he's saying praying for us. And what does he ask them to pray for Paul and Timothy about? What, what is his prayer request? He says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now think about this. Paul and Timothy are in prison in Rome. And if I'm in prison, I'm thinking, hey, pray for my release. <laughs> Get me out of here. But you know what Paul is asking prayer for? He's asking prayer, not that the doors of the prison would be open, but doors of opportunity for him to share the gospel would be given. That he would have an opportunity to declare Christ, whether he remains in chains or whether he's let go, that he would have an opportunity that doors would open 
for the gospel. So here's what Paul's praying for, his request in verse 3 and 4. He's praying for opportunity, and he's praying for clarity. He, he ends verse 4 by saying, Pray that I may make it clear, the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Uh, Paul and Timothy here are the, the professional uh, preachers, the evangelists, the apostles, and, and they're asking for prayer as we should pray for others who have these opportunities to spread the gospel. We should pray for opportunities and we should pray for their clarity. Now, not all of us are going to have the opportunities that the Apostle Paul had. I've been reading, I uh, just finished a biography about a guy named George Whitfield. Some of you may know George Whitfield is one of the major players in the first Great Awakening in America, the 1740s, 1750s. And, and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards were a big part of this huge revival that took place in America. Uh, George Whitfield came from England 13 times to preach in the new colonies. And it's estimated that Whitfield preached a thousand times a year. A thousand times a year. And in the 1740s would preach to audiences of 20,000 people, 30,000 people outdoors with no amplification. He would preach a thousand times a year. You and I will not have opportunity to share Christ with a thousand people or a thousand times, and we won't preach to 20,000 people or 30,000 people. But guess what? Just because we're not Paul or Timothy, just because we're not George Whitfield or Jonathan Edwards, doesn't mean we're off the hook in responsibility to share the gospel. Because look at verses 5 and 6. He goes on to talk about our evangelism. In verse 5 and 6, he says, Walk in wisdom, you Colossians, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now look at this. Verses 3 and 4, he's talking to the professionals. He's talking to the apostles. He's talking to the evangelists. Now he's talking to you and me. And he says, do this in wisdom. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Who are outsiders? Outsiders are those who don't yet know Christ guess what? It may be politically incorrect to say, but not everyone is saved. Not everyone knows Jesus. They're outsiders. You'll hear it a lot uh, sometimes in our culture. Hey, everyone's a child of God. No, they're not. If they haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, they're an outsider. They need to become an insider. They need to become a son or daughter of God, but they're not yet. So you and I have to walk in wisdom and share the gospel with them. Now, it's estimated in something in most, by most scholars that the, the conversions of the first couple centuries of the church, 80% of the conversions were not by pastors or evangelists. They were by the normal, working class, normal, ordinary believers of the day. And there's a lot of talk now about how we're in a post-Christian culture much like the pre-Christian culture, where most of the evangelism is not going to happen by George Whitfields or Billy Grahams or people preaching to thousands of people, but it's going to happen neighbor to neighbor and relation to relation, friendship through friendship. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And then how else does he spell that out? In, in verse 5, he says walk, and then in verse 6, his emphasis is talk. Walk and talk. Look at verse 6. He says, let let your speech, your talk, always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now notice that he doesn't just say that you would know how to answer everyone, but he says that you may know how to answer each person. What is he saying there? That each person has a specific need or a way that you can make the gospel uh, ring true to them for their situation. That requires wisdom to answer each person. That requires skill. And that's going to require you and me to know our audience, to know the doubts, the worldview, the presuppositions that our friends have to be able to say, how does the gospel meet them where they are? That takes wisdom. That takes skill. So that means you and I got to know our stuff. We got to know this book. We got to know the gospel. And we got to know how this good news intersects this post-Christian thought where we are today. That takes wisdom. I want you to comment below, what might wisdom not look like in this age? And what might wisdom look like? What would not be wise in terms of evangelism today? And what would be wise? Let me start us off here by uh, saying what I think wouldn't be wise. Let me say this. I don't think it would be wise in your evangelism to talk politics a lot or first thing. Uh, you may think, hey, my politics is you know, representative of my faith. Well, some people may disagree. But you know how in verse 5 he says, or in verse 4 it was, he says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ. It's not wise to hit to the politics. Paul says, Speak about Christ. Make it about Jesus. Here's another thing that's probably not wise. It's probably not wise to, uh, to forward that email that says, you know, send this to 10 people or you're going to die and burn in hell. You know, I mean, that's just not a way to win friends and influence people in today's culture. You know, don't send me that email. Uh, not wise. Uh, what is wise, I think, is to develop relationships with people before you share the gospel with them. I think that's wise, especially today. Now, there are going to be times when you just meet a stranger, a random person that you begin a conversation with, and you share the gospel, and you should. But in general, wisdom today, I think, would mean being salt, speaking with graciousness. Uh, notice he describes our talk being gracious and salty, seasoned with salt. Uh, that salt is, is, is tasteful, it's preserving, uh, it, it spices, salt spices things and preserves it. It's wise to speak in a salty way, and you might contrast that with uh, a sour way or a bitter way. Ever had one of those uh, sour... Uh, you know, those candies that are sour or whatever. Now it's like real popular to have these jelly, jelly bellies that are like uh, flavored really bad. Like you have to guess what the bad flavor is and it's like, you know, something out of the trash can or, you know, dog food or something like that. Like it's a terrible taste. Now there's a lot of terrible taste right now. Anger, 
rancor, uh, malice, uh, harsh speaking. Speak with grace and speak salty. That's wise. What do you think would be wise as we try to share in this post-Christian context 2020 that we're in? Love to hear your comments down below. If Jesus is preeminent, then man, we should want to spend time with him. We should seek him in prayer and listen to him in prayer. And if Jesus is preeminent, then won't we want to share him with others, even if that might be intimidating or fear-inducing? And I think it's as we spend time with Jesus that we'll grow more courageous and sharing him with others. But you can't know God without communicating with him. And you can't know God and not want to share him, communicate him with others. So you can summarize these verses just in two quick statements. Talk to God about people and talk to people about God. Talk to God about people and talk to people about God. Do we get it perfect? Is there, do, do we have ways to grow in prayer and evangelism? Absolutely. And thankfully, we have a God that is gracious. And he has forgiven us for our shortcomings. And he will forgive us the way we neglect him in prayer, the way we you know, say the wrong words as we evangelize. But as we come to love him more, as we come to see him as preeminent, we'll want to spend time with him and we'll want to share him with others. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you uh, this morning and first of all, we would ask your forgiveness for our distraction, for our self-reliance, for our independence apart from you. God, forgive us and help us, God, to see you as beautiful, to see you as preeminent. Move our hearts to love you more, to want to be in fellowship with you more, more deeply in communion with you. And God, give us courage and faith and love for others and, and, and the boldness to share with outsiders, to share with those that don't yet know you. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Give us the words and, and make us salty and not sour. It's for the glory of Jesus and in his name that we pray. Amen.